everyone. Welcome to the Midtown Midweek, where we take the sermon on Sunday and talk about it more. I'm your host, Jake. And with me, we have a couple special guests. <gasps> one, one of them <laughs> is Pastor Michael Bailey from Midtown Lexington. Hey, hey, what's up? It's good to see everybody. I'm so excited today. As I'm so well, on the podcast, we have Lizzie Keegan. Bam, yeah. I'm back. What? From Car Keeks. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> from Following Jesus Together. You haven't even mentioned other, other podcasts content. before. <laughs> so I hope you all will enjoy this episode. This is like a podcast super group. We like all are on multiple podcasts and we're all nerds about podcasts. Absolutely. I'm L- sure. Lizzie's got the credits now. I mean, she hey, does. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> so I'm sure this is going to be a very long podcast, but I'm going to have to edit it down later. Oh my gosh, it's like a two-hour episode of the midweek. But if you want the B-sides, you know, you gotta give people the go goods, through our man. paywall and you'll get all that. Oh my gosh, our content. paywall. Our Patreon? The Patreon. That's right. I love it. Um, so we just heard the sermon on lust and objectification. Yep. And first of all, great sermon. Oh, thank oh, you. So Appreciate good. that. Yeah. Appreciate that. And okay. I know there was a lot that didn't make the final cut because yeah. of, you know, for the sake of we're watching this from home and, yeah. you know, watching a screen gets old after so long. So yeah. want to go ahead and just hand the mic over to you as far as what were some things that didn't make the final cut? Yeah. You know, we make, I at least make this joke or make this comment every time I come in. So at some point I should stop saying it, but that's not going to be today. Literally, I could have <laughs> talked for a really, really long time because uh, I think n- not even specifically about like unpacking all that Jesus is saying in the text, because there is a ton that Jesus is saying that we didn't even get to touch on, but also just all the implications for these things for our moment right now, our society, whatever. Like we just, I said this in the sermon, the air we breathe mm. is the air of objectification. Like it mm-hmm. is how we are groomed to think about ourselves, to think about other people. Uh, it is the primary lens that we use just to view life really such that many of us just live kind of blind to it. Like it just feels like second nature, you know, if not nature altogether. Um, <clears throat> so there, there was a lot that I felt like I, I could really go on for, but um, you know, that would turn it into an hour and a half sermon when we can just do an hour and a half podcast. Am I right? Hey, hey. We'll see about that. <laughs> Isn't it <laughs> weird to think that like, assuming that this, that Matthew recorded this word for word, mm-hmm. that like, it feels like you could teach on this stuff for hours and it's Jesus wild. just teach, taught, teached. Cool. Yeah. Uh, taught. <laughs> Jesus just on taught that. on it. Okay. He's my verbs. Okay, I'll yeah. work on conjugating my verbs, Jake. Fine. Um, it, like he taught on it for a couple sentences, and then yeah. he's just like, and I just feel like people were probably like, "What? He just dropped a bomb about divorce, I'm and then we're more. just gonna here we go, keep going, yeah. keep going." I don't yeah, know. Just, I like that about Jesus. I know. He's yeah. to the point. He, he is, is to the point. He's brief. He's to the point, and he's brilliant though. You know, like he, and that's something I don't think we talk about. Uh, talk about or characterize Jesus enough with is that he's actually like. Very, 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 very smart. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just funny to hear you say it's actually as though there's like yeah. a group of people out there who's like, Jesus is kind of dumb. No, no, like, like, actually, mean, what, I'm, no. what I'm saying what more is like, you know, there's a tendency think to think it. about anybody who did not live in the 20th and 21st yes. century as though they were intellectually uh, inferior to yes. us. And yes. that is not the case with Jesus. Oh, no. Like just because Jesus wasn't talking about neuroscience doesn't mean he wasn't brilliant. He actually yeah. was. And that is reflective in the things that he taught and said by the fact that we can talk about four 
four or five verses for hours because they're so loaded with content. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all that being said, Jesus uh, has lots of good content. He does have lots of good content. Oh, that's, true. that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, made me think about like, he isn't that do- what sermons are? <laughs> Just ripping off a good content Jesus already yes, did. Yes, it literally is that. It literally actually. is that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the things that I mentioned in the sermon as like wanting to be able to address later in the podcast is just what are the implications of what Jesus was teaching here about how we think about marriage and divorce specifically because Jesus comes after like our marital and divorce ethic as well as our sexual ethic, you know, in in this little chunk. And so uh, I wanted to spend some time like answering the questions of like, hey, what is the Bible's perspective on marriage and divorce? How should we understand what Jesus is teaching here when it comes to our marriages? Is Jesus teaching that the only justifiable reason for divorce is sexual immorality? How do we do that? And so I thought we could spend a little bit of time kind of hashing that out and then we can yeah. get into some other things. I so will say up front, uh, a potential resource for those of you who are asking these questions, you want to know more, a potential resource you might want to check out is Divorce and Remarriage in the Church by David Instone Brewer. Uh, I will say I give this with, um, it's a light recommendation. Take this recommendation with a grain of salt because number one, I personally have not read all of it. I've read bits and pieces uh, and I know people people that I respect love it and also people I respect not love it. Mm. So there's that. Do do with that what you what you will. It's a grain of salt. But overall, I think it could be helpful. Like if you're trying to process through some of these, just understanding some of the arguments that are out there to help you have a little bit more of a, you know, vision for what what is involved in this conversation. Anyway, yeah, that's but good. <clears throat> But to answer the question, uh, I think the biblical answer to that question is a bit more complex than we often make it seem. So for one, I would say that biblically speaking, we see kind of like three justifications or reasons that divorce happens and can happen that the Bible's like, yeah, you know, like divorce in this sense, uh, in this occasion makes, makes sense. Those being adultery, obviously, abandonment and neglect. So we see abandonment, you know, in 1 Corinthians 7 and neglect we see back in the Old Testament, I think in Exodus 21. Don't quote me on that. It's somewhere in there. Um, And when you say abandonment, you mean physically, emotionally, spiritually? uh, You are married to someone who has said, I no longer want to be married to you. I am out. You know, that that whole deal. At that point, divorce is, okay. You know, like they they have said they don't want to be married to you. You're not bound to this relationship anymore. Uh, And I would say neglect uh, includes abuse. I think that's some of what we see in the Exodus passage there as well. But anyway, uh, as Christians, uh, as the Sermon on the Mount teaches us, it's not as simple as the letter of the law. So it's not as simple at looking at those three passages and just saying, okay, those three things happen Boom, I'm, I'm good to go. We we got to get after the heart. We have to hold intention, the heart of the law too. So we can't just go and say, okay, this is permissible. So I'm going to go do it. Uh, the Bible teaches elsewhere that all things are lawful, but all, not all things are beneficial. So we've got to have that category <clears throat> in how we understand these things as well. And so we have to take that into account in God's design and his design for marriage in the first place and apply that uh, as best we can. And that that means we're going to have to, or that's going to require us to navigate some complexity and context in community with other people as we're sorting these things out. So for example, Ephesians chapter five, right? Ephesians chapter five, we actually see what God's good design and desire for marriage actually is. That God has wired marriage to function as a living, breathing representation of Jesus's relationship with the church, his people. And how does Jesus relate to his people? Like, what do we see from that text? Uh, He relates to his people with what we would call steadfast love, with a self-sacrificial love that remains committed and faithful despite our unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness. Jesus never abandons his bride. 
He never leaves the church for another. He is committed to us no matter what we throw at him. And I think this is another reason why Jesus is so ardently anti-adultery in the Sermon on the Mount, because God above all is faithful to his people. And if we are the picture of God to the world, then our faithfulness must have that aim as well. And I think this is one of the major implications of what Jesus is even teaching here. It's that marriage in the kingdom is a covenant. It is an unconditional commitment reflective of God's unconditional commitment to his people. It's not something that's uh, subject to like fluctuating feelings or sexual desire or personal fulfillment. But like our vows often say that marriage is for better or for worse until death do us part. That is what marriage is supposed to be about. And that that has to be our guiding principle in these decisions and how we think about these things. And now that's not to say that in every situation, divorce shouldn't happen, but faithfulness, reconciliation, and covenant commitment has got to be our default. It's got to be what we're ultimately striving for in whatever the situation is that we are faced with. And so while divorce is certainly biblically permissible in some cases, in the church, it should be very rare and a very last resort. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Try yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'll also say this. Now, I know that might sound extreme to some folks who are out here listening. I'm just like, you can't be serious. I mean, marriage is a unconditional commitment for life. Are you kidding me? It would be better that I didn't get married if that were the case, if that was the case. Um, well, yeah, it does sound that extreme. And in fact, that's exactly how Jesus's disciples understood what he was saying. Like, Marriage is serious business, and I know we don't treat it that way very often in our culture, but this is how Jesus' Jesus's disciples understood him. And the other place that Jesus brings up divorce and marriage in Matthew chapter 19, which, by the way, uh, I don't know if you guys— uh, we can. T- this may not be a conversation for this podcast, <laughs> but I think Matthew 19 has the message that Jesus is sharing there has some really profound insight for those who are in the LGBT, yes. me, LGBTQ yes. community mm-hmm. and how they are, uh, wrestle with the Christian sexual ethic. I think mm-hmm. Jesus has some wonderful things to say uh, in that regard here. But in Matthew 19, Jesus reiterates God's ideal that marriage between a man and a woman is meant to be this unconditional commitment for life. And he goes to far go as far as to say what God has joined together, don't let man separate. And his disciples basically say, yo, Jesus, if that's the case, it's probably better that we don't marry. And Jesus is just like, yeah, it's a high calling and only those who can accept it actually should. And I would just say, I think probably more of us, especially in our culture, where we tend to uh, jump into relationships and pursue marriage based on attraction, based on objectification, mm-hmm. based on all these superficial things. We we probably need to hear those words a little bit more and consider the fact that the truth about marriage is that it's not simply happily ever after. Yeah. Like marriage is hard and challenging and hurtful and beautiful and transformative and life-giving. But if you go into it with an objectified view of your spouse, if you're carrying those things in it, into it, that they exist to fulfill you mentally and emotionally and relationally and sexually, you're in for a bad time. Yeah. Like it's just going to be a really rough road for you, but that's also part of the beauty of it, right? Like marriage displays to the world what God is like. He's committed to his people despite his people, showing steadfast love and grace over all of our failures, all of our sins, all of our mistakes, time and time again. He's faithful even where 
when we're unfaithful to him. And so, see, I told you, I could have talked for another hour (laughs) on this stuff. Like I wanted to get all of that in, but it's just, I mean, and some of it didn't fit because it doesn't all like flow with the the theme of objectification, which is what I really wanted to hit on because it's such a problem. But I mean, I think, I think that is a good picture of like, when we think about marriage and divorce, this is how Jesus approaches it. And this is how we ought to approach it as well. Yeah. One thing that struck me, and even looking at Matthew 19, where Jesus is talking about that right before that in Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. There's yes. the parable of the unforgiving servant. Yeah. So talking about when you sin against someone or you've been sinned against, then constant need to always forgive, mm-hmm. always forgive, because that's what Jesus has done for us. And then right on the heels of that, Jesus talks about marriage. Yep. I, I think Matthew deliberately put that right there for us to get a clearer picture of what the marriage covenant is supposed to be. Two sinners in a covenant together. That's right. Pointing each other to Jesus. That's exactly right. Yeah. I think that uh, some of the view of divorce of what Jesus says that sounds so harsh in terms of like such limited reasons to get a divorce. And then he says this phrase at the end in the Sermon on the Mount that most people ignore that Jesus teaches that it is not that you did that today, but that because you didn't have time to get into all <laughs> right. the divorce oh, yeah. stuff, but um, <clears throat> that to marry a woman who's been divorced is to commit adultery. And we just like, don't, I would say the American church has pretty much just pretended like that verse doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. Mm. And I, I'm not going to make a whole comment on it. I haven't done all the research, but I will say, I think the fact that we, you know, sort of buck at that and go, that cannot be true. And that is unfair is because of our romance idolatry. And it is Mm -hmm. the same issue beneath the call to celibacy um, for LGBTQ people. And like, I think for me as a single woman, it's like it it, is, we treat it like a death sentence in our culture. If you tell someone they can't get married. And so Jesus is essentially seems to be saying that if you've been divorced, you cannot get remarried. There is a way to read it like that, though right. not everybody does. Mm. But it's like, are we willing to go to the scriptures with Jesus potentially telling us that? Mm-hmm. Potentially telling us you have to stay single. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe if we learn to look at singleness differently and look at a whole single yeah. life as a, the, all the words you use to describe marriage, I could say are true of singleness as well. You know, yeah. hard and painful and hurtful yep. and transformative and, and beautiful, beautiful and yeah. all of that. That's right. And it's like, if That's we right. could learn to have that picture, then maybe we could actually hear what Jesus has to say yes. about marriage and divorce rather than come at him with like, no, you don't get to tell me. If the answer is, I don't get to have my romantic and sexual desires fulfilled, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. It's basically how many of us come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I just think it would it would really alter how we view what he has to say if we if we could come with, okay, whatever path you give me is not a death sentence, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's really good. interesting. We, we've talked about this a lot in other places too, but it's like, are we willing to fundamentally let Jesus reshape where happiness is found? Yeah. Uh, or, or how we understand happiness is found, you know? Uh, because you're right. Like we buy into it. We think, oh, I can't be happy if yeah. I don't have X, Y, and Z spouse or any other type, you know, that we can fill in the blank with. And it's Jesus consistently is just like, that is not the case, you know, Uh, but it does require a humility on our end to come and be like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust what you say here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we often forget that Jesus says incredibly divisive things, Uh talks about (laughs) hell quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And even if you've grown up in the church, we tend to gloss over those sayings. Oh, yeah. And, and what does that say about our hearts when we are not taking yep. Jesus seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's funny. I know a lot of us, I think John even re- referenced this in last week's podcast, but he was like, 
he's reading a book and the premise of the book is what if Jesus like meant what he said, right? (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. what if Jesus was actually serious when he said the things that he said, like what, how do we respond? How do we handle that? You know? And the truth is, is Jesus did mean the things that he said. So Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, (laughs) spoiler alert. So we got to wrestle with some stuff. Yeah. You know, that's good. Uh, What were some other things that didn't make the sermon? So Lizzie and I were talking about this one uh, and we wanted to find the right way to talk about it because it is another aspect of this objectification issue. And the truth is, is that objectification just, I mean, it's just everywhere and it affects Mm -hmm. so many things. So there's like almost like not a single example in our culture that we couldn't touch on. You know what I mean? But we were talking or we were typing rather (laughs) about uh, friendship and how objectification affects friendship. Uh, You want to share some of your insights? Yeah, I just... uh, some of what you talked about towards the end of the sermon about what objectification and lust means for single people and for dating. uh, I think one of the, there's sort of the more obvious versions of that, which are things like swipe right, swipe left. There's, you know, going to bars for hookups. There's kind of the more like obvious pictures and obviously things like porn and stuff. But I actually think a really insidious way this gets into particularly our church culture, Mm -hmm. um, any church culture, but I would, I mean, I see it in our church family is that we actually objectify the men and women that we're in community with as Mm -hmm. single people, because we're putting everyone we meet into dateable and undateable categories. And we're saying, if you're dateable and and it's, it's bizarre because we don't just say, if you're dateable, I want to date you. And if you're undateable, I don't want to date you. We actually go, if you're dateable, I want to be friends with you and spend Mm -hmm. time with you and be around you. And I tend to think that that's because we have this subconscious, if they're dateable, then they'll be around other people who are dateable and eventually, or maybe eventually they'll <laughs> me or, you know, whatever. <clears throat> kind of that like, mm-hmm. you know, rom-com trope of like, oh my gosh, best friends who eventually fall in love kind of thing. Um, and similarly, we can treat people in our, you know, young single community and honestly, not just young, any age, single community as like, if you're not dateable, then are you really worth spending time with? Are you really worth mm. being around? And I, I think, mm. you know, when I've talked to single friends about this, the minute I say that people are like, oh my gosh, I totally do that. Like mm. we put each other into those categories yeah. and treat each other out of that, which is, I mean, it's a form of, of objectification. And, you know, as you were giving the sermon, I was thinking like, obviously Jesus is speaking here. There's a lot of cultural reasons for this too, to men. And he's talking about lust and he's talking about the sexual lust, which like you said in the sermon, women can have too. But I thought, mm. uh, throughout your sermon about how if you could like replace the word romantic lust instead of sexual lust. And that's what women are often dealing with. And so they're doing, we often are doing that in our relationships. We are determining who to be around friendship wise because of how it sets it sets us up for romance. And that's, that's a serious form of objectification. I agree. Um, agree. Rather than to love each other as brothers and sisters, we simply see people as, uh, potential or not potential spouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, the way I was thinking about it was like thinking about those categories as like, well, this person's marriage material and this right. person isn't marriage material. And it's like, oh, right. okay, what are we doing here? You know, yep. but, and we kind of, you know, go in on, on those categories. I was talking to a young guy uh, recently and he was just talking to me about like, well, what if I'm not attracted to this person? Like, should that affect anything? And I thought it was a really good question, you know, because like it, people want to know like, well, how do I actually go about finding a spouse in a way that isn't objectifying, right. that in a way that isn't filled with just unbridled, you know, lustful intent, but that is honest, you know, about 
human attraction, human explosion. attraction and yeah. beauty. Yes, yes uh, of course. But also like prioritizes the right things. And so what, when I was talking to him, one of the things I was saying was like, it's not, it's not really about. I don't think Jesus is saying here that it, uh, he's not saying here that it's wrong to appreciate beauty. It's not wrong to be attracted to what you're attracted to. What, what's really going on here, though, and I, or what I would say to you is, what what is the priority? And what is ultimate when you're looking for a spouse? Like, what is the thing that you are not willing to compromise on versus what you are willing to compromise on or what's going to get the trump card? Like, are looks and physical appearance your trump card? Because I got news for you. If they are, that's a really bad trump card because at the end of the day, not to be too crass, like, everything's going to sag and get wrinkly anyway. You know what I'm saying? For all of us. There's a proverb about that. <laughs> Charm is deceptive beauty and beauty is, is fleeting. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Like, that's, that is... Yes. It. Yes. It goes 100, away. 100%. Like it all fades. And so if you if you go into a relationship and you're only prioritizing someone's physical attractiveness as like the determining factor in whether or not you will pursue them, whether or not uh, they are marriage material or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like, man, that that's going to slip through your fingers so yeah. fast. It's not going to stand the test of time. Because even if, I'll say this, even if they are beautiful, culturally speaking, um, you can still get into a marriage with a beautiful person and be miserable. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like it cannot be the basis be for how you do things. Instead, we need to be looking at things like, do they have faith in Jesus? Are they with Pitbull-like determination pursuing godliness in the things of Christ? I pictured you know? Pitbull the singer. I just need you to know that. Oh, a little bit yeah, different. That's he's a, he's a determined guy. Okay. Yeah, he's something he like that. He's Mr. Worldwide. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like these these are the things that we need to prioritize first. And those are the things that need to be the trump yeah. card uh, and get priority over the other. Because you, you know, love is a choice that you make. And it's not it's not based on strictly on physical attraction or these kinds of things. And so we just have to be careful. Can I I say one other thing about love as a choice? I just want us to remember too, it is good and right to pursue wisdom about that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. in the 21st century. And to remember that that Jesus was not teaching to people who chose their spouses. Great point. He was not preaching to people who looked around and kind of took the lay of the land and saw who they clicked with and who they were attracted to and then decided, Hey, we're going to commit ourselves to each other. Like that is not how marriage worked then, which means that like Jesus's teachings are um, sort of above and bigger than the way that we date or the way we get married. It doesn't matter kind of how it does matter. It, It requires wisdom and godliness and, and prayer and how we pursue things. But like, Jesus's teachings are bigger than mm-hmm. all of that about the importance of not lusting, not objectifying, you know, all that. The way, the way that we approach all of this is so, it's so new relatively yes, really, you know, in history, uh, yeah. in history, like the way we approach dating and finding spouses here in the West, it's only been around since the 20th century. Yeah. Like, seriously. That is a blimp on the radar of human history. Did Yet you say we, blimp on the radar? Blip. Oh, okay. A blimp. <laughs> a blimp would be big, I think. And this is a blimp. <laughs> a blimp on the radar. <laughs> it's a very big and moment on the radar. This blimp is on fire and crashing <laughs> fast. Fun Hebrew fact. Ooh, uh, love Proverbs a Hebrew 31, fact. 30, beauty is fleeting. Fleeting is haval. Ecclesiastes 1 that they use for vapor like, and wow. meaning and meaninglessness. Yeah. Meaningless, meaningless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about that? What if we had, what if it was translated beauty is meaningless? That'd be kind of Because I do think sometimes we can go like beauty is fleeting, meaning it matters when I'm young and picking a spouse, but it'll go away. Mm, that's it's a like, good word. Dang, what if beauty is meaningless? That is mm. a good word. Translators decided not Come to on. go that route. No, 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 no. The translators Put, were like, no, that it's too close to home. Be. We can't do that. <laughs> um, I think one of the things, Lizzie, you and I were like typing back and forth about 
uh, was just also letting the primary category that we view one another through be that of brother and sister. Mm -hmm. Like that, that is actually before dateable, undateable, before anything else. It's, this is a fellow image bearer of God who in Christ is my brother and sister. And do we approach our relationships that way, you know, and our friendships with people that way. And I, I find that many of us just simply don't have a framework for that. It's either the opposite sex is someone that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with and sleep with, or they're nothing. Right. That's just sad right. because the church is so much more yeah. than those things. And it's yeah. way more beautiful when we can embrace that. Not only that, but a brother and sister in Christ that I'm going to spend eternity with. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. That's going to impact how I treat them. Yes. We're going to be the podcast supergroup in heaven, guys. Oh, Can't man. wait. Oh, buddy. Jesus has a special guest in the fourth chair. <laughs> Just you wait. Just oh, you wait. Jesus as a special guest is just so an uncomfortable good. phrase for me no matter the context. <laughs> I just imagine him guest appearance by guest Jesus appearance. Jesus. Wonderful. Uh, other stuff that didn't make the cut, Bailey. Yeah, so this, I gave, in the sermon, I gave some general input from Jesus' words here for those of us who want to fight sin, um, specifically fight this sin. And I wanted, I really just wanted to give a few more words uh, on that because there are some other layers to it that we really didn't get to hit on. So uh, I stumbled across this quote this week from C.S. Lewis that I thought just hit the nail on the head. Uh, he said, Eros, and when he's talking about Eros, he's talking about erotic desire, you know, this, this idea of lust. He says, Eros ceases to be a devil only when it ceases to be a god. Uh, and I, I think that little nugget is so important for us when we are discerning through how to combat this fight and how to really go about becoming a people who are unlustful like Jesus. Because the real problem behind all of our sin, including objectification, is a God problem, right? Like the real reason we sexually objectify other humans is because uh, is because God is most often not in his rightful place in our lives, but something else is, whether that mm-hmm. be pleasure, whether that be comfort or relationship or whatever. Like we objectify other humans because we want something that we believe they possess the power to give to us that in many respects they don't actually do. So a part of repenting from lust is going to mean doing the hard work of getting underneath our lust to the whatever desires actually lie underneath mm-hmm. that, That's right? Good. So it's asking the questions, hey, what what am I actually looking to get here? And and then how is this actually this thing that I'm actually looking to get? How is this actually only found in Christ? Like I know for me and my history of struggle with this struggle, like most often, like my objectification of women had to do with boosting my self esteem, like making me feel better about myself. And so I thought that if I can be the guy that gets a bunch of women, or if I got the right type of wife, then that would say something about how awesome I am. Like that would say something about my identity. I was looking for status and image, and I was using women to. To get there, and what I needed was I what I what I really needed was to absorb the truth that my worth and my value and my status and my image, my awesomeness was not tied to who or who who I slept with or who I didn't sleep with or who I was in a relationship with or who I wasn't in a relationship with, but was found in Christ. That Jesus, uh, that mm-hmm. in Jesus, God gives me all of that and more, all of that and more. He calls me His Son, in whom He's well pleased. He calls me heir to his kingdom. He calls me beloved. All of that's the identity that Jesus gives to me through the great exchange of his righteousness for my sin. And my struggle with objectification might not be 
the same route as y'all's or as those of you who are listening. Uh, but there is something there that we should seek to dig out, no matter how it looks in, in our lives. And so I think some of this relates even to some of the digging deeper stuff that mm-hmm. y'all were talking about on the podcast last week mm-hmm. um, that Ryan yeah. referenced. It's that there's always sin beneath the sin and effective repentance is going to seek to root that out along with the physical things that promote the temptation. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great good. place to plug recovery because that's, I led in recovery for a long time and I've had the opportunity to teach there. And like, that's what we go back to all the time in recovery is figuring out what those triggers are and what those deeper things are that we're looking for that like the problem is usually not the thing we're addicted to. Mm-hmm. It's something beneath that. So anyway, plug for recovery. Yeah. yeah. No, and that even gets to Jesus's command of if your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, like cut those things out so that you can actually examine what is going on within yeah. your heart. I remember when I was in college, I had a buddy of mine who was saying that he hadn't looked at porn in like a decade. And mm. he was like 22, 23. And I was like, what? How? How is it possible? And he was like, oh, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's still so much lust in my heart and mm-hmm. I find my mind drifting off. It's just, this hasn't, this one thing hasn't happened. And I think even when it comes to sexual sin, we, t- we kind of tend to view it just from the surface fruit. Yeah. So long as like, so long as I don't do X, Y, or Z, yeah. I will be set. But uh, the work of sanctification is you know, to see what's really going on underneath that and address that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And it's funny because the way he likely got to a decade of that particular action, not being a part of his life was because he began to realize these other things. Yeah. It was because he began to realize what he was actually looking for and doing. And always when you do a lot of self reflection and introspection, you begin to see how deep the rabbit hole goes on your need for grace and your need for healing that it goes beyond just the surface things, but Oh my gosh, my heart is really bent. It's really wicked. And I need grace and mercy upon grace and mercy, you know, over and over again. Yeah. Yep. Um, in the sermon, Bailey made a, a little bit of an inappropriate joke Ooh. about cutting things off. Oh, yeah, I did. And, uh, you know. Made Shut, the- I mean, to be fair, in the rough draft, I had one or two more inappropriate things to <laughs> say. So I felt like I did well uh-huh. just to keep that one in. Right? And I, yep. <laughs> Here's me in the teaching team comments like, nope, can't say L- that. Lizzie nope, reviews that. all of our sermons just so y'all know. Uh, uh-huh. And she makes, makes sure like that we I'm stay above board. Um, well, in some uh, respects. <laughs> of inappropriate that. jokes, that might be part of my role. Um, but I was just going to say that, like, I actually, as you were saying that in the sermon, I mean, it was okay, funny, whatever. That he's calling us to cut off hand and gouge out eye, whatever. And I think part of it is, I think that, I mean, I don't know if Jesus would have like said, you know, kind of what you said, but I also think that he's, his point is like, don't be mistaken that it is just the sexual action itself. Mm, like, good, don't be right. mistaken that it's just, if it could get rid of this thing, oh, that's good. Then, you know, he's like, yeah. he's like your hand and your eye. Like, like we wouldn't think of the eye as the part of the body that's responsible that's a for lust. Good point. Yeah. Right. We would mm-hmm. think of it as our sexual organs or whatever. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, like you got to look deeper. You got to look at kind of everything. And I'm, and also I always think about like, gosh, in the context Jesus was talking to, lust was like so much more difficult. I know that sounds weird, right? but like it was, I would guess mostly like imagination to, to lust. Yeah. 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 Imagination. And you had to like basically probably be like kind of voyeuristic to sure. see anything like, yeah. and it's like, man, I just feel like if Jesus was talking to us in 2020, he'd be like, cut off the internet. Like I yeah, just, and I love what computer. you said about the different things to cut off. But I'm like, 
man, like I feel like Jesus's call, his hyperbole would mm-hmm. be like, stop using the internet. Yeah. And like, you know, that's a good point. Like, yeah. uh, I agree. When I was doing college ministry, one of our annual men's events that we did was called Media Smash. And we would find old computers and oh, old TVs. My and gosh. we would just go out in a field and there was like 50 to 60 computers, like old big screen TVs and like a couple dozen guys with giant mallets. And we would That's each fun. take a turn. And it, there was always some sort of sermon about Matthew 5, about mm-hmm. cutting off and going to extreme lengths yeah. to, to seek Jesus. And it was always one of my favorite events. Yeah, and I like it, you know, like destroying things like that, the testosterone, like, get the oh, testosterone out and yeah. destroy something. I literally, this is complete off the subject anecdote, but on in that vein, uh, I had some old computers at my house where the lithium batteries were like expanding and so they needed to be destroyed and thrown out. I and mean, I didn't want to pop the lithium batteries, but uh, I also didn't want to just throw the computers away with the hard drive on there because it has like all of like my personal information on the hard drive. So I had to destroy the hard drives. So I went through and like had to get out the computer, get it out of the computer or whatever, and then take a hammer to the hard drive to destroy it. It was the most you therapeutic look so happy. thing. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> so therapeutic. Listeners. His yeah. smile is so yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like, bam, bam, bam. It was like, this is wonderful. How can I get more of this, right? Yeah. It was, it was great. Oh, my you know, gosh. But I've told you guys before, I have that low-grade simmer of like, uh-huh. I'm always right there with some <laughs> angst. I'm ready to go. Uh-huh. I got to get it out a little bit. It was fun. Good. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that, Lizzie? I think that something we talked about as we were kind of digging through the sermon and teaching team was just the way this can play out for women um, Mm -hmm. in terms of objectification of self, uh, because a a response, particularly in our culture and in this time period after feminism has had, you know, it's different waves and has sort of become the air we all breathe is that in response to feeling powerless and objectified for thousands of years, women have now just taken Mm. their sexual power into their own hands. And yeah, I just want to say to the women in our church family that that is not what Jesus is calling us to here. Uh, That out of our pain of feeling objectified, I mean, the number of experiences that women have of being objectified Mm. is out of control. Like just ask any of the women in your life. Like it's crazy. Like, have you, have you seen this stuff about like if women if they're like when people, I'm sorry, there's like a survey that's like asked women, what would you do if men didn't exist for a day? And you know what the number one answer was? What? Go on a walk. Yeah. Really? The number one answer was go on a walk at night. Like to be able to go on a run at night or a walk at night or be outside at night by yourself. Like there is like what you said about the kind of that sexual violence and mm. pornography that objectification is going to lead to doing it, doing, you know, objectification in your head is going to lead to objectifying people externally. Mm. And women have been primarily the victims of that throughout mm. society. And, and so in response to, and I get that, I get that. I have those experiences. I have those stories. I have painful stuff in my past and I feel the temptation to do what the world is telling me to do yeah. and to, to take my sexuality into my own hands and men don't get to have the power anymore. Men don't get to objectify me anymore. So I get to have the power. And I just want to encourage the women in our church family, our sisters to believe that what Jesus offers is better that he says, mm-hmm. actually the, the kingship over your sexuality is in my hands, not in men's hands. The power over your sexuality is not in men's hands. And it also doesn't need to be in your hands. It's in my hands and that my mm-hmm. hands 
King Jesus's hands, I think it can get twisted for women because Jesus was a man that walked the earth. That can even feel a little bit scary to us, but King Jesus is a safe person, a safe Mm. place. He protects us. He does not objectify us. He wants what is best for us. And so anyway, just, just wanted to encourage our church family and the women particularly, um, yeah, to lean into what Jesus says, which is to not objectify, to not objectify ourselves. Um, even in response to being objectified by someone else. That's That's good, good, Lizzie. That's that's a good word. That's good. Mm. Man, I love that. I love that. Uh, You know, Jesus's way is better. Mm -hmm. It's better. And I I think that is the lens through which I am trying, as I even I personally like study and work through the content of the Sermon on the Mount, along with the rest of our church family, remembering that this is what Jesus is holding up to us or holding out to us in his sermon, that his way is better. Let's come on. Yeah. Hey, a quick plug. If you have any questions, feel free to send that our way. Our contact info is in the show notes. We've been getting those questions. So we're going to be shooting for the final week of this series. We're going to be taking some of those questions. So keep on sending those our way and we'll see you next time.